You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. My name's Todd, last name Van Voorst. Don't expect you to remember that. Um, it's Dutch. Where I'm from, that's normal. <laughs> uh, my privilege to uh, preach from Exodus uh, chapter 25 through 30 today. So six chapters, which we're going to read every single word. <laughs> no, we're not. Uh, I'm going to preach over that, though. We're going to cover it. Um, but before we do that, uh, in full self-disclosure, I want to show you a picture of something and see if you guys remember these things. I think we got the slides worked out, so we'll see if this happens or not. Uh, it was kind of hopefully useful if we can get the slide of... There's, remember these things called like magic eye pictures? You guys remember those? You remember these things? Like now, you're not going to be able to like bring it into your face and then move it away <laughs> because it's up on a screen. I have never, ever, ever seen one of these. Ever. <laughs> I have tried my darndest and I cannot see them. I'm told that you can be trained to do this. I'm told that if you stare real hard or make your eyes blurry or bring it up to your face and then pull it back... I'm told that all these things make a picture show up here. And if you're super good at it, maybe you can see it. I don't know if it works on a digital screen or not. I'm not even sure. But this is, you know, you've seen these things before, right? I have never, ever seen one. And so I was telling Stan and Luke, uh, this is hopefully be a great comfort to you guys. No, nobody comes up here and preaches just whatever we feel like preaching. Uh, we, we run this by a group of people every week. So it's not just me, and next week it's not just Stan, or whatever. It's not just one of us saying what we think is true. We all open our Bibles, and we talk amongst each other, and whatever we agree on is what's preached. And if anything falls outside of that, that's like, oh, that's not exactly what the text is about, or that's true, it's just not true here. So that should be a great comfort to you. Anyways, I'm giving this example to Stan, and he's like, oh, I've never even tried one of these things before. What, what's, what do you do? I'm like, well, you're supposed to stare at it, apparently. In a picture. So he sits there and stares at it. I'm getting ready to leave to go to work. I work at Shelter Insurance uh, after teacher's meeting. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, I see it. It's a picture of Saturn. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, you've never tried this ever in your life and within five minutes. And after that, he said he tried a bunch more because it was like this fun new skill that he developed. <laughs> he's like, because once you start seeing them, you can't not see them, apparently. And apparently, if you've never seen them, you just are blocked out. I'm boxed out of this whole situation. I don't get to play with your reindeer games. <laughs> so I just have to trust you guys. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to be in Exodus 25 through 30. And Jesus is there. Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's in these chapters that a lot of you just flip by. Because honestly, it's the blueprint on how to build a tabernacle. <laughs> and unless you're building one in your backyard, you're probably like, eh, pass. <laughs> But Jesus is actually there. Just like in that magic eye picture, there is actually a picture of Saturn. If you stare hard enough, if you look hard enough, if you're disciplined, if you learn the tricks, if you learn the tools, how to see it. A picture of Saturn is apparently really, but I have to trust people like Luke and Stan because I can't personally see it. I have tried. (laughs) It is great consternation in my soul that I can't see them. I just can't figure it out. My eyes don't work right or my brain or something. It's not coming together. Jesus is in these chapters, and you may never have seen it there before. You may never have stared long enough at it or thought enough about it to actually see him there, but trust me, he is really there. I'm not just waxing to try and like, well, how do we make the book of Exodus seem like something that's useful to us? Well, let's make it sound like it's about Jesus. He's actually there. He's really there. And if you stare hard enough, if you listen, I'm going to give you some tools. I'm going to show you, and hopefully after this, just like Stan, you won't be able to see anything else. And not just here, but the rest of the Old Testament. You won't, you won't just like breeze past it. You will actually see Jesus 
and you won't be able to not see him. It'll be contagious. You'll want to just flip through and find him everywhere. That's my goal this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, Exodus 25, I'm going to read a couple of verses and we're going to jump into it here. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And then jump down to verse eight and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, so you shall make it. My first point this morning, if you're a note taker, is God is present. And he wants to be present. And the tabernacle shows us that. Verse 8, it says that I may dwell in their midst. I want to dwell in their midst. At this point, Israel is a nomadic people. They are displaced from where they used to be slaves in Egypt. They're wandering around in the desert. And so they're camping. Wherever they go, they're camping. And the way their camp is set up is that they're like all, uh, some here, some here, some here, some here. And in the middle of all the camp, every night when they pitch their tents, when they camp, there's this tabernacle. Because God is telling Moses here, I want to camp with you guys. I'm with you. I'm present. I want to be with you. If you're camping, I'm camping. I know that you guys don't have a home. I do have a home. I I live in heaven. (laughs) Been here a long time. Suits me well. But I want to be with you so badly that I'm going to camp with you. Now, for me, like this means a great deal because I hate camping. (laughs) Now, I know all of you people who love it are going to immediately like push back, and that's great. I'm going to use it to your advantage here, but I don't like it. (laughs) All my experiences have been the worst. (laughs) Like, so if you say like, "Hey, you want to go camping?" You're basically saying, "Hey, do you want to have the worst night's sleep you've ever had?" and wake up with every fine, sharp point of your body worn down to a smooth nub by the ground that doesn't give way? Do you want to wake up wet? I always wake up wet. I know I'm doing it wrong because I'm told that that shouldn't happen, but every morning I wake up like the grass covered in dew. I'm just like, what is happening? This is the worst. And you're always camping with people that you're not used to sleeping with, so like, if they all fall asleep right away, you're just kind of like the guy who's awake, and you're like... You know this, right? Like, come on, I'm not the only guy. Like, you're like, what do I do? This is miserable. I can't, like, do anything because they're sleeping. I don't want to wake them up. Or you wake up before everybody else, and you're like, what do I do? I don't want to wake them up. This is so weird. We're not used to, like, how do we go to sleep together? I don't know. We don't do this. (laughs) I was like, yeah, one of the worst nights of my life was, like, I was camping, and I was so cold (laughs) all night. I I couldn't sleep all night, and I just prayed the whole night. I'm like, please let somebody else wake up and be miserable just so I can be with somebody. (laughs) Because I don't know how to start a fire either. Like, I'm clearly not cut out for camping. (laughs) Or just life in general, (laughs) apparently. Like, if this post-apocalyptic thing ever happens, I'm going to be finding some of you and just leech it on because I'm done. (laughs) So, but for you people who do like camping, you're like, oh, no, I love it. I love being outdoors. Outdoors, I love it all. The thing you like about it is that you're roughing it, right? Like if, if somebody came and were, you saw somebody camping and brought their big screen TV and their generator, you'd be like, they're not even camping. They're glamping, right? Like they're glamour camping. They're not even camping. The thing you like about it is that it's roughing it, right? So even the thing that you like is that it's like not normal. You don't have your air conditioning. You don't have your normal way of cooking. Everything's different. The way normal way of going to the bathroom, everything's different. And that's what you like about it. So at the very least, understand that God is roughing it. He's leaving the luxury of heaven because he wants to be with people. He wants to be with his people so badly that he is leaving perfect heaven. And even if you like camping, it's not like home. 
You leave the luxuries of home behind to camp and maybe enjoy the outside. God is leaving his natural place to be present because he loves his people so much. He wants to be with them. He wants to experience what it's like to be on the move. And so he camps in the middle of their camp with them as they move along. So how does this point us to Jesus? How does this idea of God wanting to be present in the tabernacle point us to Jesus? I do have a slide, hopefully, of John 1. You can just see it up there. Keep your finger back in Exodus if you want, or you can flip over there. But John 1, verse 1, and then 14. Talking about Jesus, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is picking his words very deliberately when he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know what that word dwell means? Tabernacle. Jesus tabernacled with us. If you're going to take a tabernacle and make it a verb, that's what he did. Jesus pitched his tent with us. Because God wanted to be so present with you, it wasn't enough just to camp with people. He wanted to be more like you. So he took on the tent of human flesh. It says he was made flesh. That's where we get the word incarnation from, like chili cone carne with meat. Like the word put meat on. Like he became like us. He took a human tent because he wanted to be with us. So he's taken it even further than he did before. It just keeps getting more intimate. He wants to be like you. What's it like to be like Zach Fleer? I don't know. If I put on flesh, I'll have a better idea because I want to be with him. I want to know what it's like to be with him. And so Jesus tabernacled with us. And even bigger than that, he doesn't stop there. Before Jesus left, he said, I'm leaving, but it's better for you that I leave because then I'm going to send a helper and he's going to be with you and in you. So now we're going from camping in your camp to being one of you to being inside of you. And I have a slide for that too. 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul, the apostle, says to them, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that? Because you should know that. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Do you not know these things? You're not your own. You were purchased. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you are a Christian, if you are somebody who worships Jesus, he has sent his spirit. Now he doesn't just camp with you. He doesn't just walk next to you. He lives in you. Nothing could be more present than being in you. Think of that person who knows you better than anybody else. They get you. They know your jokes. They know how you're wired. They know what makes you tick. They know what sets you off. <laughs> they know you. That's as good as it can get in this life, as far as people go. Because who could know you better than that? You. You know yourself better than that. And God is inside you. Every thought, every fear, every tear, every quiet moment by yourself, he's there with you. He's more present than that person. Because he wanted to be so present with people, it wasn't enough for him just to be in heaven and have you down here. It wasn't enough for him just to camp in the same world as you. It wasn't enough for him just to be flesh like you. He wanted to be in you so he could be with you. That's why Jesus says it's better. Because he can't just walk next to some people in the middle of the desert. He can be inside of people in Columbia, Missouri who worship him. God wants to be present. Second point this morning, God is accessible. You have access to God. He wants you to have access to him. And the temple is going to show us that, the tabernacle. I do have a picture of the tabernacle complex, like the whole 
shebang, as it were. Um, and rather than like, so in Exodus 25, if you're there, rather than read through all the details so that you can go home and trick one of these out in your backyard, <laughs> I'm just going to kind of explain to you. And you can read through to fact check me on some of this if you want. <laughs> um, but I feel it's a better use of our time. So the first thing you're going to see, or we're going to leave this picture up here for a while, if you don't mind, Keaton, is this outer court. You see that white fence kind of area? So that's the first kind of thing that sets this set of land apart. It's about 150 feet by 75 feet, and it has a bronze altar in it out there. If you see the first thing, like through the gate or through the little uh, curtain there, you'd see it would be the bronze altar. That's where sacrifice for sins would be made. That's where the priests would take your goat, your lamb, you'd put your hand on it, transfer your sin to it, and then it would be sacrificed out there. That's what would happen out there. And then the thing in the background, which is kind of opened up, we'll zoom in on it in a little bit, not right now, but that's the actual temple. And that thing is 45 feet long by 15 feet wide and 15 feet tall. So if you do want to build one, here's the exact specs on what these things look like and uh, their actual dimensions. This thing has like an outer cover, which you can kind of see. It's like a a curtain thing, and it's actually composed of four layers. The inner layer is fine linen, and it's got like cherubim inscribed on it. And then after that is ram skin that's been dyed red. And then the next layer, um, I'm sorry, the second layer is wool, and then it's red ram skin. And then the outside layer is like, we don't really know. The Hebrew is kind of funny on it. It's like either badger skin or like sea cow, <laughs> like, like or dolphin or something. Like all that to say, God's tent is waterproof. <laughs> So, so he doesn't get wet like me. Like he knows how. He's like, man, I'm going to camp, but I'm still going to be, I'm still God. <laughs> so my, tent, my tent's going to be way better than yours. <laughs> like his tent is awesome. It's made of all the coolest stuff, and it's waterproof. He's figured that out long before Coleman did. Um, and see, and in front of the temple, there's this big curtain, um, and it's three to four inches thick. Thick. Like that's how thick the curtain is. Like I can't even imagine a piece of fabric that is that thick. But that is what it is. And all that to say, that temple kind of has a, a presence of, you can't come in here. Like, if you, don't, if you don't know that you belong in here, the assumption is you know that you don't, right? If you don't know for sure that you can go in there, it's pretty clear that you can't. And you shouldn't. And you probably wouldn't want to because you don't know what's back there. So that's uh, the, the temple complex. Now, even just to get in here, even just to get into the white fence area, it's limited. The only people who are allowed there are Jews and Gentiles who have converted to Judaism. If you are not a Jew or somebody who's converted to Judaism, you, this, you will never get any closer to God than outside of this fence. Maybe tiptoe and peek over. That's as close to God as you'll ever get. If you are a Jew or a converted Gentile, you can get inside this area here, just inside the white fence area we're just talking about. That's as close as you can get. Now, we can zoom in on that temple area. It actually has two chambers inside. The first place that you would come into is called the holy place. And then the back part is called the most holy place. It just keeps getting more and more close to God, which means more and more holy. And so the first room is 30 by 15 by 15. So it's 30, 15, 15. That is the the holy place. And there's three pieces of furniture in there. There's a gold table that has bread on it, 12 loaves, one for each of the tribes of Israel. There's a golden lampstand which has these seven little like branches. It's like an almond tree kind of thing, and it always has fire burning on it. It's like a lamp because it has a three-inch curtain in it. And so if you don't have a lamp, you can't see anything in there. And then the last thing, there's this altar of incense, which is up there that's just constantly burning incense um, and going up like with, it's coordinated 
with the sacrifices that are taking place outside. So it's like the smell of the, of the sacrifice is going up into the holy place always before God. Now this room is one step closer to God, right? Because he's in the next box. Like that's where he lives. That's where he's going to be. Now this room is even more limited. So in the first place we saw if you're a Jew or a converted Jew, you could get into that fenced in area. To get in here, it's even more limited. If you're Moses or one of Aaron's descendants, you can get in here. You have to be a priest. So if you're a woman, you are never getting any closer to God than that outside room. All the women in here, you would never get closer to God than that outside, ever. That's, as close, that's the most access you had to him. And even if you're a guy, you have to be related to Aaron or Moses himself to get anywhere closer to God. And even then, you're not even just allowed to hang out in here. This is only to do your job. You make sure the oil's in the lamp, make sure the bread's set out, you make sure the incense is in there, and then you get out. This isn't a lounge. You don't sit around and smoke cigarettes, <laughs> like hang out, and you're like, just hanging out in the holy place. <laughs> like, you get in, you do your job, and you get out. You're not allowed to loiter. You're not allowed just to be there, just to be there, because you want to. Then the next room has an another, has another curtain, another three to four inch in thick curtain. So this place is dark. Right, you've got four layers of stuff over. You have a curtain, and now another curtain. There is zero light in this place. It's the most holy place. It's like a 15-inch cube, or 15-foot cube. 15, 15, 15. Right, you've got like a 15-foot cube in the back. It is the most holy place. It is where the presence of God dwells, where he chooses to limit himself in order to be with his people And the Ark of the Covenant is in there. We'll come back to that. I'm not going to get into it right at the second. My main point in bringing it up now is that this has even the most limited access. So you have, remember in the beginning, if you're a Jew or a converted Gentile, the next room you have Moses or one of Aaron's descendants. This last room you can only get into if you are the high priest. So even if you're a relative of Aaron and you are a priest, unless you are the high priest, you will never get this close to God ever. And you will only be able to do it once a year. So one person, once a year, and that's it. That person has the most access to God of any person in the whole world. The true God, the one God, has made himself known and allows one person, one guy, one day a year, to enter his presence. And if you are an average Israelite, here's what goes through your head. I personally have no hope of ever having direct access to God. But at least he lets one of us, once a year, approach him on my behalf. I may not get to see him myself, but he lets one of us go in there, and he goes in on my behalf. It's not perfect, but it's more than nothing. Somebody is saying my name in front of God. I don't get to do it myself, but somebody does. So where is Jesus in this picture? I want you to fast forward to the New Testament in the book of Matthew. We just talked about Easter and the resurrection last week. Jesus is hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of the world, dying for sins that he did not commit, dying at the hands of wicked men who appointed by God to fulfill Scripture. And it says, I'm going to read verses 45, 46, and then jump to 50 and 51. It says, now from the sixth hour, so six hours noon, from about the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
hanging on a cross, dying in darkness. Jump forward to 50 and 51, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. He chose when and where to die. He yielded. He was not overcome by the cross. He overcame the cross and chose when to die. And it says in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. A four-inch thick curtain was ripped in half the moment that Jesus died on the cross. What does that have to do with our tabernacle? When Jesus died, something happened. Like, literally something happened. A curtain was ripped. What does that represent? What is the symbol behind that? Because that literally happened. What does that mean? Hebrews 10, 19 through 20 tells us exactly what that means. It says, we have confidence to enter the holy places. The holy place where only one person once a year gets to go. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Jesus is the curtain. He was ripped in half on a cross so that we could walk through him into the most holy place. Jesus is the curtain that has been ripped. There is no barrier anymore. There is access to God through Jesus for anyone who will put their faith in him. It is not just one man of one tribe once a year. It is any man, any woman, any child who will place their faith humbly in Jesus has full access to the living God. They can be in his presence all the time, always, because of what Jesus has done. He ripped the curtain. There is no barrier anymore. I like to give people access to me. Um, If you're in my connection group, you might have my cell phone number. You know my address. (laughs) you come to my house. Um, And I like to give people access to me, and I like people, and I like hanging out with them, but nobody has the kind of access that my kids have. Um, You find yourself in weird situations where you're like, if this was anybody else, (laughs) this would be really bizarre. Like, one of their favorite games is to play WrestleMania, uh, which is a game like, and it's WrestleMania in our house, uh, which basically constitutes me laying on my back with, like, my knees up, and then you know how they they drape over, and so you're doing, like, the Superman thing. You know, where you got your hands here. Can you... (laughs) Can you imagine what's happening right now? I'm not going to lay down on my back like a turtle, but you got the idea, right? So that's, they love to play that, and then, then it culminates, and when I like, kick my leg and flip them over my head, you know, and then tickle them until they run around and take their, line, their place in line, and it just keeps it's a repeating cycle over and over and over again. Um, so that's one like, instance that if I were to do that with Jason North, <laughs> if, you, if you saw us in the foyer, and he's like, <laughs> and I have him up on my legs, and then I flip him over and tickle him, You'd be like, what is going on here? What kind of church is this? Is this a church? What's happening? <laughs> uh, and, and for those of you who know me, I just, you can see that I shaved my beard off this weekend. I was just telling the guys that like, um, my, I can tell when my beard is at the length when my wife doesn't like it anymore uh, because it, it, it relates perfectly to when strange men in public start giving me compliments. <laughs> so like, I went to get our Buffalo Wild Wings order the other night, and the guy was like, Dude, how did you do that? He's like, oh, I just want to grow my beard so bad, but how long did it take to use beard oils? Ah! He was all in this consternation. I was like, just grow a beard. Well, are you single? Like, just do it. I don't know. But like one time we were out to eat, and a guy just came up to me. He was leaving. He just tapped me on the back. He's like, hey, I know it's weird, but I just want to tell you your beard is awesome. And then he leaves. I'm like, I can always tell when, when we're at that point, 
It's the point where my wife is like, yeah, I'm probably done with the beard thing for now. Not because she doesn't like me having attention from strange men, but because the length at which men start to envy it is the length at which women are like, I'm over it. <laughs> so last time I shaved my beard, my daughter, like Penelope, she thinks I'm more handsome with a beard than I am like this. Um, so when she saw me this morning, she was like, what did you do to your face? <laughs> you look better when you had less face and more hair. <laughs> Um, but last time I did it, she was so sad that she took some of the trimmings of the beard and put it in a jar and named the jar Todd <laughs> and carried it with her wherever she went. Again, now, if, if Jason wants, if Jason said, hey, you got some of that beard left over? <laughs> I'd really like to put it in a jar <laughs> and carry it around and call it Todd. <laughs> Be like, I don't, think we're, I don't think we have it like that, Jason. <laughs> no offense, but you don't have that kind of access to me. <laughs> Jesus died to give us the kind of access. It's only a picture. It's only a shadow. But to the kind of access that my kids have to me, to stick their finger up my nose when they're sitting on my lap, <laughs> to be tickled and roll around and laugh, that's the kind of access, the kind of access we have with God is now just that free, fun, I love you, I'm so excited to be here because of what Jesus has done. That kind of access is now possible. It's not this dark room off in the corner that only one guy gets to go in. Like, what even happens in there? I don't know. I'm kind of glad I don't have to go. (laughs) I kind of wish I could go a little bit, though, just out of curiosity. Full access. We have access to God, and that's always been the plan. The tabernacle shows us that has been his plan, that he wants to be accessible Jesus is the fulfillment of full access to God. Last point, third point, God is merciful. He is merciful and he wants to show mercy. The temple shows us that he wants to show mercy. That's his desire. Um, if we can throw a picture of that Ark of the Covenant, I told you we'd come back to it. It's in that, um, that room that only one man once a year would ever get to go to. If you ever, I mean, this is, I just found a picture online. I don't, we don't know what it literally looks like. We can take the the description and kind of render it if we want to. And this is the closest thing, or if you've ever seen uh, Indiana Jones, <laughs> you've apparently seen like what it can do if you're a Nazi and you open it. <laughs> it doesn't end well for you, which actually is in keeping with what it says. Uh, it says you, you can't open it uh, because you can't touch it. Uh, you're not allowed to touch this thing. You see those poles? That's so that they could put it in there and carry it without having to touch it. Because if you touch it, you die. It is so holy that you cannot touch it. One time a guy named Uzziah, they were trying to move it. I mean, this they were tent-dwelling people, so they, they're just like us, a mobile church, every week. Pack up, tear down, pack up, tear down. Every week they were doing this as often as God wanted them to, and so they had to move this dangerous thing around. And one time it like tipped, like the ox tripped. <laughs> and like Uzziah reached out like, uh-oh, I don't, want the, I don't want this to touch the ground. It'd be like trying to catch the American flag or like just something instinctually, like I don't want this to touch the ground, it shouldn't. And he died on the spot. And it's like, and David was king at the time. He's like, I'm upset about this. Like, ah, <laughs> like he was just trying to help the ark out. And God's like, I don't need help. <laughs> like, don't touch me. <laughs> like, back off. <laughs> Use the sticks, man. <laughs> so this thing, the law of God is inside, right? The law is inside. The law that I, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I only gave you a glimpse of some of the law, but the law is inside. They're telling you exactly what God wants, exactly what he wants is in there. And then there's a lid called the mercy seat 
or some of your translations will say atonement cover. But that's on there, and it has those like little angel things on there. They're, they're cherubs. Now, like when you think cherub, like don't think like Valentine's Day, like fat babies with wings. Like read Ezekiel. Cherubs were not something that you'd want to ever see. <laughs> they're more like a nightmare than they are a dream. Uh, like they have like, you know, lion face on, they have four faces, and there's a lion involved, and um, they have more sets of wings than just the one. They're, they communicate otherness, holiness. It's scary in a way, like, and they're always in heaven singing to God. <laughs> they're on top of there. It's kind of in foreboding. Like, I don't even know if I'd want to touch that, even if it was allowed. You're not allowed to touch it, and it's also never allowed to come off by implication. You can't take it off because you can't touch it. <laughs> and then above that, the glory of God would hover. So you have the law, the mercy seat, God's glory hanging above. And how this worked is that man, the high priest, once a year, he would take a bull and sacrifice it for his own sin out in that bronze altar. And then he would take a goat and sacrifice it for the sins of all the people that he was going to represent. Then he would take that blood through the curtain into the holy place. And then with all timidity and all humility, they would even strap bells to his feet and a rope to his leg because when he entered into the most holy place, if he were to be struck dead by God, somebody would have to pull him out. But they couldn't go in. <laughs> you understand the consternation? Like, there's a dead guy in there, but I can't go in there because if it killed him. So they would put bells so they could hear him. Just tink, tink, tink. Okay, he's still walking around. If the tinking stops, rut row. <laughs> but you have this rope around his ankle so you can yank the guy out if God's presence kills him because he's so holy that nobody deserves to be there. So he would take the blood and walk through... The, the next curtain into the holy place, the most holy place, with the blood of the sacrifice saying, may these take my place so that for another year you put your blessing and protect Israel and me, the high priest. Even the high priest had to confess his sins. That's why pastors sit up here and we're not the experts on the Bible. We're just people trying to do what Jesus says, like you, trying to repent, trying to lead our families well, trying to do a good job, trying to confess our sins and let Jesus take those. So he would go through there, and then he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifices on the mercy seat and say, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive my people. Forgive all those people that, whose names come to mind. Forgive all those other people whose names I don't know. There's millions of us, but I represent all of them. Please forgive us. We have failed you. Your law that stands under there clearly tells us what we should be doing, and I know we're not. I know I'm not please forgive me. Please forgive our sins. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Jump forward to Romans 3. The Apostle Paul is going to give us some insight here, which I think is helpful. How does Jesus show up in this picture? Romans 3, 23 through 25. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So some of you right now are like propitiation. That's a word I don't use often. It, it means in English, we would say wrath diverting sacrifice, something that takes the bullet. But you know what that word literally means? Mercy seat. God put forward as a mercy seat by his blood to be received by faith the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat of God. He stands between us 
and God. He stands between God and the law that condemns us, the holy God who our souls were made to worship and love, and the law that says exactly what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do that. He stands between us. He is the mercy seat. He takes the bullet. His blood stands between us and the presence of God to allow us to be there. Jesus is our mercy seat. He covers us. And if he covers you, it's a lid never to be removed. It's fixed. It's assurance. He will cover you. His blood covers. And it's better than a mercy seat. He doesn't have to do it every year. He did it once. And he did it so perfectly that he never has to do it ever again. He did it so perfectly, he only had to do it once. But there's more. Check this out. I don't have a slide for this. I'm just going to read it to you. The priest himself, when he would go in to perform this ceremony, I'm going to read you about his clothes here. If you're a seamstress, you can uh, maybe get some value out of this or put it on your Pinterest board or something. Um, It says, you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. These are the garments you shall make. A breast piece, an ephod, which is like a... It's like a jacket without sleeves. (laughs) Um, A robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. And you shall set two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. These stones, six names here, six names here, all 12 tribes sitting on the shoulders of this man. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And the breast piece of judgment shall be on his heart. When he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. The high priest carried his people on his shoulders and in his heart when he went before God. Jesus carried our sins on a cross on his shoulders, his chewed up, lashed, whipped shoulders with blood and splinters going into him. He carried our sins on his shoulders. He carries the weight of his people on his shoulders, and he carries the sins of his people in his heart. The blood that was stabbed with a spear just to make sure he was dead when it ran out with blood and water out of the side. Jesus carried our sins in his heart. He is a better high priest. He carries us forever on his shoulders. He can shoulder your weight. That's why he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, you still have to pull along with me, but who's doing all the work? I can shoulder your burdens. I have big enough, broad enough, strong enough shoulders to carry you. And I have a pure enough heart to carry you in my heart and come out the other end alive. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the curtain. And this is just the start. There's more. I could go into the lampstand, the bread, the incense. Just like those magic eye things, there's more Jesus here than I'm even telling you about this morning. There's more Jesus. If you search harder, you will find more of him, not less. Look through your whole Old Testament. You will see more Jesus, not less. And once you learn how to see it, that's all you will ever see. And it will lead you to thank God even more, even more. Through Jesus, we have full access to God, to his presence, and to his mercy. All three come together in Jesus. Okay, so what should our response be? That's awesome, right? Isn't that awesome? Like some old book that you like probably blitz through a million times like chapter blah 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 construction I'm not an engineer who cares Jesus is there in a way that should hopefully give your heart reason to believe and have full faith and assurance what should your response be Jesus did everything so I can do whatever I want right Jesus did everything so I can do anything that is one response that people often have to this let me read to you a response from the Bible the author of Hebrews himself 
If you want a better sermon than mine, go read. Spend, devote yourself this week to read Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. It's a, cha- it's a chapter, it's a sermon on this thing. How does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? Listen to what he says after preaching this awesome sermon. I don't have it up for the screen. Just listen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now pay attention. Crystal clear, pay attention. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, if we say Jesus did it all, so I'm going to do whatever I want, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Did you know that was possible? You could outrage grace? He says, you know, you know how bad it was if you broke the law of Moses? You died by stones because you broke the law. How much worse will it be to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and then to treat him like something that you can just put on your foot and do whatever you want with? How much worse do you think it will be? The message from Hebrews with respect to this is clear. Jesus is coming back. And if you choose to sin deliberately, to use him as an excuse to do whatever you want, he is not coming back to save you. He is coming back to destroy you. Jesus, the one who hung on the cross for your sins, the one who died for you so that by faith you could be with God in full presence, with full access, with full mercy, if you reject that, you are left on your own to defend yourself. You will either be hid and covered by Christ, or you will suffer from his hand. The very one who said, what were you doing? I gave you my blood. I gave you my life. I offered my shoulders to you, and you chose to do it yourself. You chose to just do whatever you wanted. So what is the proper response? Last slide. You heard him say it. Let us consider then how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what you should do. This is the right response. Jesus paid it all. So I'm going to get together with people and stir them up. Like, let's love this guy. Isn't this awesome? Did you hear that this morning? That Jesus, God, this has been the plan the whole time. This wasn't a backup plan. Like, oh no, they're not doing it right. I guess I should probably send my son to die. It's been the plan the whole time. Get together and stir one another up to remember that and to, to experience faith in that and to put your faith in that actively by loving people and stirring one another up to good works. And don't stop getting together with people. Don't neglect the habit like some people do. You've met Christians who get alone with texts like this. Like they read Exodus 25 and 30 by themselves in their garage and they get super weird. (laughs) They build them. They're like, well, that's the point of it, right? I guess I should build a temple and start sacrificing oxen. 
Don't do it alone. You get weird and you get off really fast. So don't do that. A, r- a right response to loving Jesus is to love the people that he died for. A bunch of sinners who get together on Sunday mornings who aren't perfect. I get it. It'd be easier to not hang out with some of these people. I get it. But don't do that. You're like them. And we can all put our faith and hope in Jesus. And lastly, encourage one another. It's hard to hang in there sometimes. It's hard to remember stuff like this. It's hard to see Jesus in everything because sometimes all you see is other stuff. And you just can't see it. And you're just staring at this magic eye thing. And you're like, I don't see it. All I see is pain and suffering and heartache and difficulty and money and job decisions. And ah, that's all I see. Hang out with people who will point you to see Jesus in everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for the chance to rejoice in what you've done for us. Thank you for the temple. Um, some old thing that I'll never see with my own eyes. Um, it's not part of our life anymore because of what you have done in Jesus. It's just, it delights my heart um, just to study this out and to see you fulfilling all this, to see you as our great high priest, to see you as our sacrifice, to see you as the curtain that gives us access to God, to see you as the mercy seat that provides us shelter and safety in the presence of God so that we can have full access to you and be in your presence and to experience full mercy that it no longer is a scary thing to come to you. By faith, we can come with confidence. The scriptures even say we can be bold and we can be confident Not because of where we stand or because of how awesome we are, but because of what you have done. And we put our full heart behind that, Lord. And we say, Jesus, yes, you have done it. You are my priest. You're the curtain. You're my mercy. And because of that, I am confident. And my confidence isn't because of what I have done. It's because I go to my grave knowing for a fact that you did it all and that my faith in you, you can't be defeated. Whatever you have done stands forever. You did it so perfectly, you never have to do it again. And I put my full heart and my faith and my hopes and my dreams and my future and everything in your hands. You are trustworthy. You are my high priest. You are my sacrifice. You are my everything. And so help me to get with other people to remember that, to stir one another up to love and good works and to not uh, neglect that habit, but to do it regularly and to encourage one another to love you even more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. What we're going to do, what we're going to do now is we, we are going to take some time and just remember, uh, remember what Jesus has done. Just like, just like what Todd was saying, we're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity now to, to respond in worship, but we're also going to take communion together as a church, as a body of believers. And there are stations set up around the room. There's gluten-free up in this corner for those who, who need that. But what we're going to do is... is as Nick leads us in this next song, we're going to sing and, and we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to respond and we're going we're gonna to remember in, in music what Jesus has done. But, but as you read through the New Testament and as you see Jesus in these different, different places and as he represents these different things, what, what, what we read is before he died, he sat with his disciples and, and he, he ate with them and he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. This represents my body, which is broken for you. So take and eat. And as we go to these, these stations, we're going to take off a piece of bread, and we're going to remember that this represents the body that was broken for me. That, that veil that was torn, this represents that for me, that I can come before, before God boldly. 
We don't, we don't receive that by, by, by doing it. It's, it's already something that has happened. This is a remembrance. And, and, and what Jesus did is he, as he took the bread and, and he gave it, and then he took the cup and he said, this represents my blood of the new covenant, which was spilled for you, take and drink. And we're going to take that bread and we're going to dip it in the cup. And as we do that, we're going to remember that we have access to God through the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. And that is something, if you haven't put your faith in him, if you haven't entered into the presence of God, just take some time this morning. Or if you're in a place where you're like, God, I don't, I don't feel that this morning, just take some time. And, and whenever you're ready, let's take this together and just, just remember. And when we come back together, go ahead and stay standing. We're going to continue worshiping.